host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me in studio is my buddy Thomas Trance. Thomas, what's going on, pal? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just uh, still stunned about this uh, Calgary Detroit. Yeah, we, we, we've got we've got Flames Red Wings here on in the studio. Of course, a, a replay from what from last night's game. The vibes around the Flames are so bad. The vibes around a lot of Western Conference teams that are in the playoff mix are bad. Like it, it's certainly not ideal what's going on. But I don't know if you've been following what's happening in the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, but they've given up over their past three games. They've given up twelve straight even strength goals Oof. without scoring one themselves in the meantime. Like, it's bleak. I, they're like 29th or 30th in the league now at 5-on-5 five five goal scoring. Here's the kicker. The team they're tied with is the Colorado Avalanche. My so it's uh, it's going to be a heck of a race. I think we all expect Colorado, Calgary, Minnesota to turn it on based on our priors. Yeah. But once you get into like the 60th game of the season I think at some point now Colorado's a bit different because they've had so many injuries right so if they get healthier and they get these guys back into the lineup it's a bit of a different thing but for the most part Minnesota and Calgary have had the regular cast of characters Calgary though like there's just something a little different with those vibes by the way Play Now Sports so one of one of our sponsors currently has the Kraken as the favorite in the Pacific Division and you know what that means that means there's value on the board right like there's value on the board in my opinion let me let me read you the rest of the odds uh, before, and uh, I'll cut it off at the Vancouver Canucks, who are three hundred one to to win the division. And okay. don't waste your money. The Edmonton Oilers are two point eight, two point eight zero. The Vegas Golden Knights three point seven five. That's pretty yeah. tasty. It is. If I bet on hockey, that would appeal to me. L.A. Kings nine to one. Okay. Calgary Flames twelve to one. There is no way if I bet on hockey that I'd have the self discipline to avoid. A sprinkle on Calgary and a big hit on Vegas. The thing with Vegas is, yeah, after that struggle they went through, they just went and on the road just absolutely demolished both Nashville and Minnesota. Yeah, um, and and it was defensively too. Like there was like, I think there was like ten minutes left in the third period of the game the other day against the Predators, and the Predators had six shots on goal right for the game. And so, you, did, did you hear Cassidy yesterday where he was like, "We're pretty good when we manage the puck," yeah, which is like. Just such a damning thing. Yeah, there's no way his players appreciated that. No, <laughs> well, it's a very, a very hockey coach thing. I don't think they're surprised, but it's a very Bruce Cassidy. Thing. I'm concerned because, like, they need Mark Stone, but they, they've got to replace. If, him, if he's right? going to be out, yeah, like we, we actually, it's interesting that we've heard them come up in the Timo Meyer sweepstakes, like as of oh, this week. That'd be so um, sick. So something to consider. Yeah, I, I think I think the West is really interesting. Maybe with the Flames. I can't get them off my mind now that we're watching this game while we're recording. Well, the Flames, they're just so incredible. Like, well, maybe we shouldn't have the priors, right? Because with a team like Colorado, we're like, all right, we're waiting for them to get healthy. With Minnesota, right. they obviously lost Kevin Fiala, but they still have largely the team that they had last year and the year before. Calgary fundamentally is a different team. So I we know. keep expecting them to revert to what but, they were last year, and they just don't have those same players. Well, they don't have that line, but they still... Which was the best line in hockey. Which was the best line in, in, in maybe several years. But they still control play. Yeah. They still have one of the best blue line groups, in my opinion, yep. on true talent in yes. the NHL. Uh, and they still have Daryl Sutter, who figures out how to win. Like, And you watch them play. You watch their D activate. You watch the way they play. Like, They look sound, and then they find these ways to lose these one-goal games. And I can't, for the life of me, explain it aside from like, okay, they don't quite have the dynamic top end that they did last year. Well, and, Markstrom and also really, really struggling. Yeah. 
and Markstrom struggled. Well, but like I believe in Markstrom. Yes. I, you know, like if you're struggling with a low save percentage and a bad record in one goal games, I expect you to turn it around. But there's something about the vibes around this Flames team where I'm not something I think I'm we, not feeling that good about. Well, something maybe that we undervalue. This came up in a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago um, with with Dom Luschishin about like quantifying the impact that injuries to your lineup have in terms of ha- asking players to play different roles and kind sure. of moving them up. Maybe some like not having that top line from last year. I think there's like a cumulative effect beyond just we don't have the best line in hockey and that trickles down to like the other lines as well. Absolutely, you know what I mean. Like whenever Goudreau and Kachuk would come out with Lindholm. They would just have the puck in the offensive zone and either score or draw a penalty or have great scoring chances. That's like a very advantageous playing environment to be the next line over the boards yeah, to come up for the shift. For sure. And if you don't have that now, all of a sudden it's not just that you don't have those players, it's that everyone else looks kind of slightly worse. Yep. I, I think that's part of it, but I also I, I would suggest like what feels clearer to me is the lack of alignment can be felt on the ice yeah. within an organization like that. That's why the vibes are off to me. You know, we, we know that Trilliving doesn't have a contract extension. Mm-hmm. We know that there's some odd power dynamics between Sutter and ownership and the general manager who's out of contract. Yeah. And like that sort of stuff at the end of the day, I think that sort of stuff seeps into performance on the ice too. It, it seeps into how everyone feels about their day to day. That's my that's my genuine belief. Like I, I truly think that that's one of the reasons that the Tampa Bay Lightning, for example, have had such a durable edge over everybody. Yeah, is that everyone knows this is Tampa Bay. This is how it's done. Well, at least they've got eight years to figure out Jonathan Huberto. So there's there's time. There's time. Well, with that is that I can't even. Can you think of a worse stylistic fit between coach and player in the last ten years? Well, I think that would make a Jacques Lemaire and, and Marion Gabra. Chuck Merritt and any any skilled players, Sedin twins and John Tortorella. Yes, although at the stage of their career they were at, I feel like if they were in their prime, they probably would have made it work more so than they, they did. Were, it was 2013. Yeah, that's true. Well, was it? Was it? Was it? Was it oh yeah, it was. You're right. Yeah. 2014, 15 was the Willie Desjardins yeah, first. 2013, year, right? 2014. Okay. Yes, you're right. I think it would be a fascinating re-listen to go back and listen to the podcast we did in the summer, breaking that trade down. Uh, One of my favorite shows I've ever done. It was awesome. But That's what I th- I expected big things out of. You were you were much higher on the Flames. I mean, I was pretty high on them too. Yeah. I think we were dead on with like our our Panthers takes. Not that we expected them to be struggling to make the playoffs, big but it was, it was a big time. Shocker. We know our Panthers. Yeah, you had your you had your <laughs> finger on the on the Panthers pulse there for sure. Um yeah, no, that's a really that's a really interesting point. All right. Let's get into into today's show finally. This is this is great. A long so, preamble. I'm excited because I actually haven't um you know, usually you and I hang out quite a bit, but you were away last week. You were off. Uh during the Bull War Rat trade as well, and your show wasn't on, and so I didn't get to see you. You're out of town. Yeah. So it's nice to catch, nice up. To catch up with you. Yeah, you know what? You know what headspace I'm in right now? I feel like I've dialed up my, like, I'm waking up in cold sweats, checking my phone to see if trade I missed a trade. Yeah. Like, this next month is both exciting and great for content, but also, like, literally ruins my life. So I, I finally published a piece. Like, I've been sitting on this and looking at it, as just a way of quantifying how little trade activity there is. And I finally published the piece pointing out that no team, aside from the Vancouver Canucks, (laughs) had made more than a single trade. Well, there'd only been four trades all season prior to the Tarasenko deal. Yeah. With more than two million. More than two million, which is like an extraordinarily low bar. Yep. In cumulative NHL-level cap commitments changing hands since September 1st. I know. Right? It's just like... Everyone's stuck. It's like a gridlock. It's There's absolute... 
flat cap paralysis yeah. impacting the league. And so I've been sitting on this article waiting to, or sort of sitting on that fact waiting to push it out. And I finally do it and the Tarasenko deal happens like an hour and a half later. Um, so, you know, honestly, I find myself this week especially kind of like looking at the Super Bowl. Yes. <laughs> focused on the Raptors and the NBA trade deadline. Yeah. And, and the Tarasenko deal kind of caught me by surprise because... I'm expecting a far quieter trade deadline yep. in line with a far quieter trade season to this point mm -hmm. than than what we've seen in the past. Like but, I, I think we're really going to we're going to see moves. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but I mean it's gonna be Nolachari for a third. Well, I just don't think we're gonna get to the like 35 trades over the course of 48 hours leading up to noon on March 3rd or noon Eastern time anyway or noon no noon Pacific time March 3rd. I mean. Quite frankly, there's very few players that are realistically available right now or that are likely to be moved that are anywhere near as meaningful in present-day hockey as their names probably indicate, right? If you look at the list of guys who are probably, wow. it's like... That's a mean thing to say about Chris Drury. <laughs> no, actually, uh, let's see the Tarasenko thing because I'm having Shayna on next week and okay. I'll do like a full deep dive with that. I actually think Tarasenko is going to be fine, especially playing with Panarin, but... It's like Patrick Patrick Kane, Jonathan Teams, Ryan O'Reilly. It's like, all right, great. What year is this? Their, their power play better function. Sorry, I just want to do my the Rangers quick. Their power play yeah. better function in the playoffs because I don't. I think that I think Panarin, Zabinijad, and Tarasenko. If that's your top line, is there enough two way heft to stand up against the Ahos and Bergerons and Matthews of the world? Well, I think you split them up and you go. Zabinajad and Kreider as kind of like a matchup line at five on five. Yeah. And then you just shelter the living daylights out of Panarin, Tarasenko, and Trocek. And kind of have that be your score line. And then also you have the the kid, the kid line. line as well. Yeah. And then fourth line, whatever. Which is a good X Factor line. I think I think it's fine. Like I actually think they're much better at five on five than they've been in the past, certainly. The power play, they're like middle of the pack in goals and first and expected goals and like yeah. last in shooting percentage. I think they'll be okay. Um but what I was gonna say was the Horvat trade was was that sort of realization for me that you're, that you're saying. Because I, I, I legitimately thought we wouldn't see a single trade until like March 2nd. Right. And then we'd see all of them and then we'd see nothing on March 3rd and, and James Duthie would be freaking out. Um, <laughs> but we saw, we've seen at least a couple of trades so there's there's something to sink our teeth into. But to give you like a, 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 a peek into my psyche right now, I woke up the other night and I never remember what I dreamt the night before. I woke up and I had this vivid memory of my dream where I was just yelling at someone about how Dawson Mercer has that dog in him. <laughs> and I don't, I, I, I've talked about Mercer on the podcast a oh couple times goodness. in recent weeks, but there's no real reason for me to have that internal monologue. <laughs> but that's when I woke up and then I was like, wow, that was very intense. A a any regular Connect Stock listener will tell you one of my worst recurring dreams is I'm I spend the whole dream just closing tabs on my browser. Yeah. And I've told that story before, but what I haven't told people is that it's natural step. <laughs> <laughs> Dawson Mercer has that dog in him. So good. It's so good. Um, do you think he's, do you think he moves? Mercer? No. They can't. He's such a valuable player because yeah. I think he's got legitimate center utility, but also on that team with, with Hughes and, and he's sure ahead of him. Like he's a perfect like middle six winger yeah. who can play on the top line as well. But, um, okay, so we're not going to do Tarasenko trade today, but thinking about that trade yesterday, something that I that I was kind of kicking around in my head was a topic you and I can discuss right here, which is sort of trade line philosophy. Mm. So if you're a team going into a trade where you're like, all right, we have one shot to meaningfully upgrade our roster right here, 
would you prefer to see that team strength in a strength, which is like we do something really well and a player is available and we just get them and we get even better at it. So whether it's scoring, whether it's defense, like a specific thing. Or you're a flawed team, which most teams are, realistically, and you're like, all right, we do something really well or we have kind of niche players that can do this. We really struggle at one area. Let's identify whether it's a power play specialist or whether it's a puck transporter or or whatever. Let's kind of target that and try to um, address sort of the weak link team building theory, which is let's improve slightly at something we're really bad at versus kind of really pressing our thumb down on something we're great at. So I'm torn on this because I think there's... Obviously context, depending on the position cost. Well, when you're talking about strengthening a weakness, the deal that I always think about is Marion Gabrick to the Los Angeles Kings in, what, 2014? Mm-hmm. 2013, yep. before they won. Um, well, they won in 2012. 12. It was 12. So, but that team was this, like, persistent Corsi 4 juggernaut that had incredibly low shooting percentage year after year, and they went and got, like, one of the 10 great shooting percentage drivers and just yes. fit that into their team. Mm-hmm. And they were really conscious about it. Like, if you go and read Dean Lombardi's commentary afterwards, like, he he was really conscious about... Like, they identified that as something they specifically we, wanted. We need we yeah. need a higher level of efficiency in big moments. And then Gaverick, of course, scores the, the key goal in Chicago in that Game 7. So, you know, that to me is sort of the best example of the latter. Um, in terms of doubling down on a team's strengths, I'm, I'm just trying to think of it. I, I guess it would be, like adding Kessel to Crosby and Malkin. Yeah. That would sort of be, or right. or adding Doug Waite to a team that had Rod Brindamore and Eric Stahl. Yeah. That those would sort of be like the over-the-top moves that, that bolstered a, a strength. And, you know, I think for me it's, it's all context. I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to do it dogmatically. Mm-hmm. I think it's about what matters for your team. Like, let me give you an example. A lot of people are talking about defense or a second line left winger for the Maple Leafs, right? Yeah. My view of it is the Maple Leafs should go get the best player they can get. I like I don't care if they're a left-handed defenseman or right-handed defenseman, yeah. a right-handed winger or a left-handed winger. If you're going to get past Tampa Bay and Boston, no mean feat, I just think you need to add a star. Like that's to me the lesson of the top line or like the the strengthening of strength is like bring in, and this sort of goes back to our conversation with the Flames too, like bring in someone at the top that makes things easier for everybody and like dramatically increases your ceiling. Like the Leafs to me are the perfect example of a team that's in need of like, if they can, one more like real difference maker. Well, and they need more scoring. They do need more scoring. Yeah. For sure. I mean, there's there's many ways you can win, of course, and especially in a playoff series, depending on your opponent. Like, there's going to be different yeah. types of games. I just don't understand what the Leafs, like, if you look at what they've been this year, but if you look at past playoff defeats and come away from it, like, we need to be better defensively. <laughs> that's, 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 that's Tom spits out his coffee here. Cough choked on my... I, I apologize for that, Tom, but what I'm... Like, every single elimination game, it's an inability to break through, right? It's like you watch the game against the Lightning last year, and the Lightning go up 2-1, and then the entire third period is just a brick wall along the blue line, and Austin Matthews is like having to dump the puck in every time, and they yeah. don't have any meaningful way to break through. And and I don't know how you watch that and go, you know what, if we get uh, a second-pairing defenseman here, I think this could really move the Well, this is what I'm saying. Like, It's not that you want a second-pairing defenseman. It's that if you could get the best defenseman on that team, right. you know, 
I don't think that guy's available, particularly because I'm not as high on Jacob Chicker yes. as your average bear. But, yeah. you know, I think the I think the fact is is that whether it was a difference making first pair caliber d- defender or an X factor high end forward, I just think if they can add one more star level player, that puts them in the best position. And and let me give you the opposite example. I think the Devils are light on the wings. Yeah. Like other than Sharon Govich, it just does. Who's not a heavy player, even though he's a big guy. Yeah, I just think they need more bulk on the wings. Like I was watching their game against the Canucks, and they dominated it. But at the end of the day, like Dakota Joshua was was way too noticeable along the wall in that game for me. You know, um, Vasily Pod Colson was eating too many Devils wingers lunch. Yeah, along the wall. So that to me is like if if the, if I could design a landing spot for Timo Meyer. Yeah, that's it. Particularly because I think Timo Meyer is going to give whoever acquires him not just elite performance this season, but probably six really good years thereafter. Yeah, on his next deal. Well, isn't the player that kind of checks a lot of the boxes for this, um, Eric Carlson? I understand there's like considerations in the sense of the contract and the future so, future so liability. Go get Eric Carlson if you're Toronto. <laughs> not if you're Toronto, but I was thinking about this. No, I like that the Leafs or for the Oilers, for example. Yeah, right. Where it's like, all right. Do we need secondary scoring? Do we need another playmaker? How do we feel about our blue line? It's like, hmm. If only there was a player that could address a lot of these things at once and also like has the skill level or game-breaking ability to match your star players already and actually rip. Could you imagine that power play with Carlson subbing in for Tyson Berry? Could you imagine the takes of a trade of Carlson to either the Oilers or the Leafs happen? It would be hilarious. The, the Carlson to the Oilers is now my dream scenario. Like, I hadn't even... Well, it's significantly better than your Seth Jones to the Oilers take. I like Seth Jones for the Oilers. It makes sense for both sides. It certainly makes sense for Chicago to get rid of that contract by any means necessary. (laughs) I'll I'll agree with you on that. Well, look, now that that you're mentioning Eric Carlson, that's the same idea. Yeah. Just a better player. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm more into that. But I I just think, if you're the Oilers, there is no, like, I, I truly believe this. I think it would be nonsense for the Oilers to get onto the other side of the deadline with Xavier Borgo still in their system. Like that man, no one will ever be able to explain to me how you should be holding on to Broberg, Borgo, Schaefer on the other side of the deadline. See, I think trading away picks in that situation makes a lot more. Like I understand keeping young players who especially if you think their timeline's closer to contributing, right? Like, let's say, like, Dylan Holloway, for example. We've already seen him play some initial games. Holloway, right? I wouldn't be losing. A player who can contribute for you in an ELC when you're paying Dreisaitl and McDavid but that, is very valuable. That's still four years away. No, but a guy who could conceivably step in next year or the year after, right? I think that's much more valuable. A draft pick, anyone you take, especially, like, outside the top oh. 10, they're not helping you for four years. Roberg's a sell high anyway before the Leaf course out. He's a third-pair guy. But, but... Like Schaefer is Schaefer was a project late first rounder and not a particularly good first rounder, right? Like he shouldn't he he went too high. Mm. Um, like, I don't have a lot of Reed Schaefer takes. Yeah, I got I got Reed Schaefer takes and I got Xavier Borgo takes. Yeah, but like the fact is is that you know if they were if they were Dylan Holloway types, it would be different for me. But I, I just think those guys they should be all in on the next two years. Like this is all that matters. You can't you can't get to the point where McDavid's twenty eight. And you haven't won it in the conference final game. Of course. Of course. Um, like, who cares? What was... We talked about this. What was the summer... In the summer, 
we're going through a list of players to figure out where you drew the line on who you had takes on. Yeah. Was it Carson Coleman? Was that how far we went? I think we got pretty far. On the list. It was funny because then Luke Cunning came up and I think you were actually like, I don't have that many takes on him. I'm like, I got a lot of kind of takes. <laughs> um, I think, no, I think I ha- I was like, my only take is that I like him better on the wing. And then you were like, I have lots of. He is a very undisciplined sloppy player. Um, <laughs> the reason why I brought this up, why I was thinking about this was the Rangers were, were linked heavily to, as like a Patrick Kane landing spot, right? And then this trade of ter- getting Tarasenko most likely eliminates him from any real, uh, meaningful financial commitment to anyone because they just don't have really space to... Can I pose a big question for you? Yeah. Does the team acquiring Patrick Kane get all of Patrick Kane in terms of commitment and buy-in this playoffs? Okay. Well, I know I'm old man hockey guy taking this, but it's like... If the guy's not sure he wants to leave or not, that to me, like I know there's also concern about the hip, there's concern about the fact that the his fact that he sucked this year might be the worst defensive forward in hockey. Might <laughs> well, definitely is. I don't know Tarasenko. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> Kane, Kane is wow. yeah, really bad. But <laughs> so is Tarasenko. No, he is. But at least Tarasenko like <laughs> occupies space sometimes. <laughs> like, Kane's not even in the picture. Like it's like, I, where is he? My my point is my point is is for me, the hip, the declining performance are actually secondary concerns mm. versus wow you this is such an old old guy hockey take no I, if he if he's not sure he wants to leave or not yeah does he really have like are you getting cuz cuz Patrick Kane the the idea behind acquiring Patrick Kane is fundamentally a like been there done that not scared of the moment makes everyone feel like they have a chance to win in every game and in every big moment you're like I've got one of the great crunch time goal scorers of yeah. the last 15 years like the whole logic of Patrick Kane is the like the x-factor part of having Patrick Kane on your roster but are you getting that if he's this conflicted about leaving Chicago I I think this is a totally valid PDO cast take because no I think I think it's fair I I just think his personality I I just think the fact that he has been so bad and effective this year acknowledging that the team around him sucks and I understand why the motivation wouldn't necessarily be there fully I think for a 34 year old with a bad hip right now like I I think that's fair to be like also a concern beyond motivation you know what I mean like it's like sure we just haven't seen him like his scoring his scoring efficiency is way down his shot generation is way down even though he's more of a playmaker historically um as you mentioned the worst defensive player in the NHL and the reason why I brought up is because like now the Rangers are out the teams that I've seen most linked to him are like the Stars or like the Golden Knights I guess and it's like all right, if you're one of those teams, are you like for the Golden Knights? Game breaking ability in terms of turning shots into goals has been a massive problem for them in, in past. Are you playing with Phil Kessel? Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> does it make sense for your team though, based on your the way you're constructed? It's like Bruce Cassidy is going to hate having him. Phil Kessel, Paul Cotter, Patrick Kane, fourth line. Let's go. Oh man, I can't sell you on this. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't see it. I mean, I, the Rangers actually did make sense, although I, I much prefer a Terrace. I think the Kings are the team that makes sense. Yeah, you've talked about this. They they just need East West scoring. Yeah. Well, but I but realistically, I think I'd be like if if I'm any of those teams, and if I'm Drury, like I think I think the Rangers were wise to jump the market and get out of sure. the Patrick Kane sweepstakes. 
proactively because I think you're going to be waiting around for a guy, and I think there's way too much uncertainty around him for a variety of, of reasons. Among them is how invested is he going to be emotionally? Yeah, I, I think that's totally reasonable. I think when your goalies are Phoenix Copley and Jonathan Quick and you've already struggled big time to suppress opposing offense, Yeah, I think that's a concern. Me too. Yeah. Line, and I don't think you can really add goalies in season. Not effectively. No, because, I mean, I think the Demko is different because he's because got... He's signed. He's signed at a reasonable price and he's got the track record, but I think adding any goal and being like, we're going to bet on him being better than what we have for the next 20 games is just, you're chasing him the tail. Has it worked since Dwayne Rolison? No, I remember Ryan Miller and yeah, St. Louis. St. Louis and, yeah. and last year, Marc-Andre Fleury and yeah. Minnesota. I mean, I just don't think, I think it's too, the position's too nuanced to just like play 10, 15 games behind a new team and be like, and we're off. This is, I'm having Kevin Woodley on next week. I'll, this is a good topic for him. Talking about like the dynamics of like the, the offensive tendencies in front of you and how that impacts just it. Ask him why it doesn't work. Because <laughs> it doesn't work. Matt, he, I bet you he has takes. I'm going to ask him why it doesn't work and then sit back for the next 45 minutes and relax. <laughs> okay, put your feet up. I love Kevin Woodley. All right, uh, Tom, let's take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to hit a variety of other topics. You're listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Your number one spot for Flames coverage can be found on Flames Talk with me, Pat Steinberg. Exclusive interviews, trusted insiders, and the latest news. Listen live weekday afternoons at 4 or stream the Flames Talk podcast on demand. All right, we're back here in the Hockey PDO cast with Thomas Drance. So, Tom, I have a question for you here from a listener of the show named Alexi, which is an interesting one. It goes, I've been wondering how the league would change if a player's salary would be fixed to a percentage of the cap rather than being a certain dollar amount. For example, Connor McDavid signed for $12.5 million when the cap was 79.5. If you apply that as a percentage to, say, an $85 million cap in 2025, as is projected, goes up about a million dollars. How would the economics of contracts change? What about trades when teams would have entirely different things to consider? First of all, I think the players would love this. Of course. Well, sorry. I think the players would struggle to understand it, but conceptually... <laughs> no, like, we were told there was no math. No, well, very seriously, not, I'm, not, I'm not sort of casting aspersions. What One of the big issues for the PA in multiple sequential negotiations with the owners um you know since 2013 has been the idea of guaranteed money Mm -hmm. and of course that's a misnomer right because if in in a league where the share is tied to hockey related revenue and is capped at 50 percent every contract signed is in fact not a number but is a percentage yeah it's just that it's expressed as a number in a way that i think is confusing for fans and players yeah but but at the end of the day the whole escrow system is designed because players are fixed to a percentage of revenue that their number represents based on what they take up against one team's cap. Yeah. It's just that that number doesn't adjust when the cap goes up. Well, yes. So in in some ways, this would be a system that benefits the players. And yet, because you'd be signing a contract that doesn't have money on it, mm. I think it would be something that would be seen to potentially infringe on the concept of guaranteed money that's so core to what what the PA wants to protect in in the course of CBA negotiations. How would the league change in terms of 
economics, though, I mean, you'd really, I think, be incentivizing teams to go long earlier. Oh, I think the opposite. Really? So what what I was thinking at first blush on this was okay. So take take the Dylan Lar- Dylan uh, Dylan Cousins contract that he recently signed as an example, sure. right? So it kicks in next year. It's seven years, seven point one million per. It's for his age twenty three through twenty nine seasons. The exact type of contract that if you're a team like the Sabers, you want to be signing, right? Yeah, it's a no brainer. Even if you think, all right, next year he'll be a six million dollar player. He might honestly already be a seven million dollar player based on the way he's played this year. But let's yeah. say he's six, right, for the next year or two. It's such a good bet that for the meat of that contract, he will significantly outperform that salary. Especially right? if the cap goes up the way we expect right. it to. So for the Sabres, it's a very, very calculated, very small risk, very high reward to sign a player like that because they're just so likely to outperform that deal. If it's attached to a percentage of the cap, it can still be valuable, but it removes some of that element for growth in the sense sure. that if we're all projecting every year it's going to go up 1, 1.5, 2 million, each year Dylan Cousins becomes significantly more valuable. I think the problem though that you run into or you would run into is when you're telling a player they're worth like 3%, mm-hmm. <laughs> which by the way right. is a massive amount. Yeah, but optically it sounds it's, it sounds it's, terrible. It's like, yeah. I'm worth 3%, get out of here. I want to like, see, <laughs> see press releases on Twitter. We have to sign Dylan Cousins to 3% of our gap. Right. Yeah, so I, I think I think that would create uh, an environment where you'd have to go longer to to juice the number because who wants to sign for 05 percent? Yeah, yeah, that's that's I'm I'm more thinking of it just from a like I'm putting my autograph on a piece of paper and what number offends me least. Yeah, I just I think you'd have to end up and and I'll, also I'd add this I think you could get players at in in a world where you were doing percentage type deals I think you could get players for less because of the fact that the risk is shared. Mm. Well, the risk isn't shared. Sorry, the upside is shared. Well, don't you think there... Yeah, I feel like you could probably... There'd be a lot of shenanigans with, like, round numbers. For sure. I'd also love to see which player demanded to sign for 6.9% of the cap. Uh, <laughs> Crosby Crosby would definitely be at 8. Just 7. demanding 8.7. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think it'll be a really fascinating wrinkle. To consider, I do think there would be changes in terms of what you're willing to concede versus what you're looking for, right? Like, I think, I'm I think you need to like for, for young tracks. players, it would be great. Oh, like, yeah. because the problem, like, the, which is why you're never going to see the it. dumb thing. The dumb <laughs> thing with this, it's like, all oh, right, security. It's tough to pass up however many million dollars Dylan Cousins just guaranteed himself for the rest of his career. But it's just if you're advising him, it's like, dude, just. Sign three three years and just keep playing, keep kicking the ball down until you have more leverage, right? Like that's the whole point of the RFA system. It really just screws every single young player. Well, you are about to see, I think, more short term. Like I think you're going to see short term deals in free agency, particularly if the NHL and the NHLPA end up negotiating something like you know, modest, like a two two and a half million dollar lift to the cap, and we're we're living in like a what eighty six million dollar cap or an eighty five million dollar cap next year. But yeah, like one thing I could see happening because it was on the docket before the pandemic Mm -hmm. was creating an environment where you like schedule like three years worth of cap lifts that there's certainty for all sides. I could see that sort of happening this year and I could see players, even maybe some high profile players for once actually doing short-term deals, preferring short-term deals to just like get past this flat cap era, get past these negotiations Mm -hmm. and try and aim to sign their next contract in a $95 million upper limit environment in 2026, 2027. I, I really think... Well, how, how does the idea of a potential work stoppage in 2026, though, 
influence that calculus. Yeah, I mean, it would, for sure. Yeah. But also, you know, the, the players with new NHLPA executive uh, director coming in, mm-hmm. uh, Marty Walsh, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't feel like the players have picked, like, a wartime consigliere. Right. Right? I, I suspect that the... I suspect that the the labor piece is going to be prioritized on all sides, uh, particularly given where the TV deal is going and um, and the fact that there's going to be a new Canadian TV deal up too soon. So there's a lot to take care of. I, I suspect labor piece is going to be the the watchword of the day. Yeah, but yeah, obviously a factor. Well, who knows what we're going to be doing in 2026? But the idea of doing a daily daily radio show about hockey, during no actual yeah. hockey being played, sounds miserable. Uh, I mean, back to just, back just, to. Just doing rewatchables every day, just rewatching a game from 2015. Back to spring 2020. Yeah, there we go. You dig deep. Yeah. Lots of alumni content. Yeah, maybe I got to get another dog or something at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Keep myself busier, right? <laughs> that's, what I did. that's what I did last time. Um, okay, here we got a question here from JD. It's a really long one. Uh, I appreciate how much thought he put into it, so I don't, I'm not going to read it out fully, but I'm going to try to summarize it here, okay? So he basically asks, is there a way to quantify whether a shift in a team's tolerance for turnovers would net a positive impact on their outcomes overall. And the way he, the way JD frames it here is like in the NBA, we've seen teams acknowledge that going for more three pointers, even if you miss them in the short term is a net positive because it just increases your like scoring expectancy. Right. In baseball, we've seen teams sacrifice taking more strikeouts to increase the likelihood they hit home runs. Right. In football, we've seen teams turn it over on fourth down because why would you not go for it on fourth and inches or fourth and one, right? It's just silly not to, even though we keep having this debate in the NFL. But all these other sports have kind of acknowledged this. With hockey, it feels like um, a, sh- a point shot or a shot that has like a 5% chance of going in or even less is deemed as preferable to a player going for like what's deemed to be a risky pass um even if it could lead to a great scoring chance because of the risk of a turnover and then their coach being upset have you watched much canucks lately i've watched too much canucks this season yes <laughs> definitely yeah the uh elias Pettersson rotating to the point yeah and just firing away and i know they end up scoring a goal on it yeah last night but i need so much less of that in my life yeah like i do not need elias Pettersson taking point shots um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, well, here's, here's the final, here's the final line from JD yeah. and then I'll let, you, I'll, I'll let you go. He ends it with, we don't seem to view a failed pass or a deke the way we do a missed three pointer or a strikeout. Obviously you'd rather make it, but isn't it possible that over time those plays are probabilistically going to lead to more favorable results? Yeah. I mean, I think efficiency is sort of something that the league is prioritizing more. I just don't know that we have the stats or the way of like calculating the value of each shot, mm. uh, you know, to to um to a level where we really understand. Yeah, but players do, right? I, I think players do, like, like intuitively, intuitively. Yeah, I, especially, you know, your your Artemi Panarin's or your you know your high end playmakers, yeah. the guys most likely to pass on what looks like an open net. Yeah, right, because the puck's rolling in a way that you can't see, right. but that they understand. Oh, this is a good chance. But it's I, a great one. But yeah. if I settle it and put it on a platter, it's a better one. Yep. Um, you know, I think those types of players, like well, 
watching the twins, for example, and uh, I come back to them often because they were so unique, mm -hmm. but that's what they were doing at all moments of the game. Yeah. They were assessing the value of shots current constantly and intuitively. And I think you can kind of trust the best offensive players in this league to do it reliably on a regular basis, which is sort of why the shoot yellers yeah. <laughs> yeah. the crowds are so funny. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think there's absolutely truth to it, especially on in-zone play in the offensive end. Yeah. Where, where I where I think, you know, where I do think it still matters. And, and I think one thing that's too bad about the giveaways stat in the okay. NHL yeah. is it doesn't differentiate. Like, there are costly giveaways. Of course. And there are giveaways where, in fact, it's still the right play, even if it doesn't work, because you need to be trying to generate offense and generate these most efficient opportunities. Yeah. It would be nice to differentiate between a defenseman making a bad puck management error, yep. which is truly dangerous, mm -hmm. right? Like a really bad play. And Joe Thornton trying to squeeze a, a puck between, you know, two defenders in yeah. a soft zone of coverage. You know, because what, Joe Thornton and Patrick Kane like led the league constantly and Eric Carlson mm -hmm. led the league constantly oh, yeah. in turnovers. And it's like, but I want them doing that. Yeah. Like there's no problem. Up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's no problem with that. So I I think there's, I, I would love to see, I know this is a ridiculous thing, but I'd love to see them improve the giveaway stat to make it more telling mm. um, because I do think that there's, I do think that there's, you know, win probability that you're adding in allowing your most skilled players to try things. No question. And I think, I think almost everybody knows that. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I think, well, every decision should be, should have a win probability added it'd be, marker attached to it. It'd be amazing. And then we'd actually know who's valuable. But here, here's a stat for you. This season, defensemen have attempted 26,000 five-on-five shot attempts. Okay. What percentage of those do you think resulted in goals? Gold save percentage is down overall. Okay. I'm going to guess 3.9. 2%. On the dot. Yikes. So so I actually guessed, I tried to- You were optimistic. I tried, but I, and, I, and I thought I was being yeah. optimistic. I get that that doesn't include like rebounds and follow-up chances, right? Yeah. Uh, also, though, that includes like Rasmus Dalian and Gail McCarr who do not get shots that typical defensemen do. They're like shoving sure. in the inner's lock. Yeah. I just don't understand if you under if you if you if you know that number, how you could ever justify wasting an offensive zone possession with a shot from your defenseman. No, I know. With it, considering it's so unlikely to succeed, and then I was thinking about it, unless we just have different definitions of what success looks like. I think right. for a lot of players and coaches and the way teams operate, we know it's a very conservative sport. No one wants to be the person to blame. So we see a lot of like kicking the can down the road, right? It's a lot like that's why players dump the puck off the glass and out. That's why we see point shots because no one wants to turn it over and then wind up on a highlight reel where it's like sure. the coach next day in film session is like, oh, just licking their chops. Like, I can't wait to just break this guy down. And then you're, you're showing it back and you're like, this is where you messed up here. No one's going to break it down and be like, oh, like you see, like, yeah, you just kind of fired it into the chest of the goalie and it resulted in a faceoff. And the other team was tired and you let him off the hook. But see, I think that's changing though. It is, but Even so hockey, slowly. Watch, watch. Um, and I know I keep bringing him back to the Canucks, but that's because that's who I think about all the time. Like, watch Luke Shen and how rarely he takes shots 
that aren't massively trafficked, right? Yeah. Almost always, it's just like, puck back down low, puck back down low. And I think five years ago, that player type would just be cranking them. You know, I think I think increasingly you're seeing those types of players. And and in, in a league where seizing fourth man's ice and attacking as a five-man unit is mm-hmm. so much more heavily prioritized, like even, we brought up the Flames, but it's like, Watch, watch how aggressively Daryl Sutter's defense now activates. Yeah, Nikita Zadorov is like playing like Paul Coffey. It's straight yeah. up Rover. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's truly unbelievable how much the game has changed in terms of emphasizing yeah. those portions of the game. And I think as a result, you are seeing even even your most like conservative old school player types yep. be like almost the most conscious. Mm-hmm. You know, gone are the days of your Eric Goodbranson point shot being considered a, a really good play yeah. for the most part in the league. Mm-hmm. Like, truly. And again, I think this comes back to, to the best players being intuitive about shot value. Like, I, I really do think that there's, you know, um, I was thinking about this while watching Jack Hughes play the Canucks earlier this yep. week, where, like, one thing I love about Jack Hughes, and I've noticed it before, but he just had so many opportunities to do it against the Canucks that it really stood out, yep. was um, on the power play, it feels like, he's allowed to just approach whoever's got the puck and beaver tail mm-hmm. and they're supposed to like change spots with him so that he gets to make the shot or the pass or the play. Yep. And it's like, of course, that's how you should yes. be operating. Yeah. Just put the puck in your best player's hands. But it feels like they are really conscious of being like, let Jack cook. Yeah. And that to me is kind of an example of, of where we're going here of a player assessing shot value of, of a team systematically changing how they're operating to permit that. Because you get to a point where, like, what's going to cause X defensive defenseman to start stop shooting from the point? It's going to be his star player going over to him afterwards and being like, dude, dude, you can't do that. Like, yeah. I need the puck. Yeah. Until you need to put it down low. And I think you're, I think we now exist in a league where that's happening, where players understand that. Well, look at our favorite team, the Buffalo Sabres. Like, their shot chart is, is, is perfection. Yeah. It's like, Nothing except for just the middle of the ice, inner slot, around the net. And and part of that is talent, right? They have a lot of like young, extremely gifted players now. But I do think the philosophy is certainly changing. Is that the funnest line in hockey? Um, I, I vote yes, but yeah. after, I'm, I'm willing to... You're talking about Cousins, Paterka, and Jack Wynn? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah, it is until Timo Meyer gets to play with Jack Hughes, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's uh, it's up there now. Yeah, I mean, shouts, now their defensive results to, are, are are really bleak. Shouts to Heisher and Brat. Yeah, there. That's super fun. Yeah. Well, no, in a different way. But I, it, my vote is still hints Pavelski and Roberts. Yeah, like because they just they play like the Sedins. Like, yeah, it's cool. They just play as one person, it's, and it's it's really cool. It is very awesome. Um, okay. Well, no, that was that was a really interesting one. I, I do think it honestly ties. I think we as we struggle with. Sorry, we, we can't move on from my line thing without just like doffing our cap at Bergeron. Of course, yeah. I just want to say it before we move on because they deserve it. Yeah, but it's less cool when it's like Bergeron, Marsh, I know Craig Smith. Are we making? I know, I know. But are but when it's when it's perfection, it's yeah. Or even Nebraska, honestly, this year. Are we making a? Let me before we. No, we got eight minutes here. Okay. Yeah. Are we making enough of a deal about the Boston Bruins? Mm. In what way? Like, like not acknowledging that they're on pace for 133 points. <laughs> not, 
then I mean, they could lose out every game the rest of the season and still finish the year above 500. Yeah. Um, they are the best goal prevention team in the league by 20 goals. Yeah. There's no one well, close. While still being like second in goal scoring. I think. <laughs> like this is, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. And we'll, I think this is sort of how a season moves. It's like the Bruins were a story because they were on such a tear. And yeah. it was like, they're making history early in the year around the 30 game mark. Yep. And then now we just are kind of used to it. The Bruins are good. We know the Bruins are good. They're going to be hard to beat. They're going to be the president's trophy winner. They're going to win the division. It's kind of settled. So we now pay attention to other stuff. And then in the last 10 games, we'll round back to it and be like, what a historic regular season. And then they'll lose in the first round because that's how historic this, regular season. This ties into what I was going to say. We, okay. we suck at understanding probabilities right? and probabilistic thinking. So yes. the Bruins are having this historically great regular season, much like Tampa Bay did in 2018-19. Now, them getting swept by the Blue Jackets is obviously an extremely negative result. Um, people also forget, didn't they? Weren't they up three nothing in the first period? They of were, game yeah. Game one, and yeah. Then they choked it away, and then everything unraveled. Yeah, and at that point, they were like outscoring the Blue Jackets like twenty five to four in the, I, in the I season. That's I watched that game on a dock bar in South Florida, and I was like, "This is unbelievable! I couldn't believe it." It's very fond memory. Uh, no, you weren't. You weren't allowed to fire off takes. Absolutely no takes, <sighs> man. But I, I, I the I, world I, is so much better for for you. <laughs> covering the Canucks and firing off takes. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so like it, the the fact that they might not win the Stanley Cup, in fact, are are more likely not to Far than, more than, likely, than yeah. win, has absolutely nothing to do with their regular season, mm-hmm. right? And 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 for whatever reason, like you're already seeing a bit of, ah, I don't know if they peaked too early or like, oh, I don't know, like the lack of adversity throughout this regular season is gonna, it's like. That has it's it's such a bizarre take. Well, especially because it's like that group of players. You know what they should do? Try to lose more in the regular season because then they're going to come more likely to actually win. Right. What they should try to do is be the Blues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the 2019 Blues. Oh, you want adversity? Be the worst team, and then let's see you win a step. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um. Man, I hate that. Oh, so bad. The uh, yeah, no the the Stanley Cup playoffs does not efficiently reward the best teams. Yeah. The regular season does. We need to make a bigger deal of the President's Trophy. Way bigger. That's what matters. Way bigger. Yeah. I think I think you need a sponsor and like a big cash bonus. Yeah. You get a little cash bonus, but you need like a... It should matter in a major way and there should be celebrations after it's secured. Yeah. You know, like I, I often think about this, uh, again, to bring it back to Vancouver, and I'm sorry for your listeners that I'm so Vancouver-centric, but there was a goal at the... It was a buzzer-beating goal at the end of the second period that Christian Erhoff scored. Yeah. And it was the game-winning goal that secured the President's Trophy for Vancouver in 2011. And and I always think, like, that should be a historic goal for this franchise, but no one knows it. Yeah, they should have had, like, a Le- LeBron-esque ceremony right there on the spot. <laughs> or, 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 no, but after the game, like, what, what, yeah. what I mean, here's, here's one thing that I do think about a, a lot with the NHL. Only one team gets to win the Cup, and that's fine, but... There's there's obviously like more ways to have a successful season. Mm-hmm. There should be more occasions to celebrate as a fan base yeah. over the course of a year. You know, you think about football, for example, right? And and you have and I mean English football. You have multiple trophies. You have tournaments. You can win the Champions League. You can win the league. You can win, you know, one of the regional tournaments. What have you? Like, yep. but at the end of the year, first of all, if you win all four, it's historic. No one's ever done it. Yep. If you Win three of four, it's like that's one of the greatest teams of all time. 
which is cool too because it's like you check them off the list and the pressure mounts on a team to make history. But also at the end of the year, if you have four different winners, it's like a six, four teams have like something that they're proud of and four banner raisings. Like it makes sense to have more accomplishments recognized. Yep. More degrees of success formally recognized. More reasons to celebrate players as opposed to it, it just being players and teams as opposed to it just being like one versus 31 yeah. at the end of the year. Yeah. But obviously the Stanley Cup should all be the one that matters the most and no one wants to change that tournament. I just think that if you celebrated the President's Trophy... It's an accomplishment. And I'm a firm believer, like I think the NBA midseason tournament, which yeah. players are super hesitant about, by the way, in the NBA, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's going to be phenomenal. Yeah. It's going to revolutionize their All-Star Weekend. You know, like you want to make All-Star Weekend matter, make it the final four of a in-season tournament. Like, what are we talking about? Yeah. Put real money on the line and have teams playing hard. Tom, that's such a great note to end the week on. We need more reasons to celebrate and be happy. Yeah, and, we, and to recognize excellence. There we go. Um, all right. Let the listeners know where they can check you out, what you've been working on. You've been busy, busy at work. Yeah. I'm, I'm... You've, been, you've been cooking up a lot of trade potential trades and a lot of uh you know ways the Canucks can get extra assets. So yeah, which I, pre- I appreciate that because I was going through the list of players that you highlighted and I was like, wow. This is this is really scraping the bottom of the barrel at some point, but you uh you put in some work. Do you like the Mike Riley one? Mike Riley one was good. Yeah. Who was the guy from Vegas that you highlighted? Um some like Korzak or something? Yeah, King. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's let's pump the brakes here. <laughs> uh beggars can't be choosers. Yeah. Um Cooking up a, a lot of content at theathletic.com slash Canucks, but uh, also just theathletic.com slash NHL and Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650, which airs right before this show. So mm-hmm. check us out on uh, wherever you find your podcasts. That's beautiful. Next time we have you on the PDO cast, it is going to be our third annual fake trade, trade extravaganza. Fake trade extravaganza trades we'd like to see. Now that it's a 50 minute daily show, I think we're going to have to like break it up into at least two or three parts because yeah. it goes that long. Um, last year, immense hilarity ensued. Also some fantastic trades. We got the Brandon Hagel trade pretty much exactly. Um, dead on. Yeah. And, and, and you, this year, this year I'm going to nail the Sam Lafferty trade. I can't wait. We're going to bring in our pal Jack Fraser for that as well. Let's it's going to be really fun. So looking forward to I, that. I'm also really excited to cook up some absurd, um, potential trades for Bo Horvat. Ah, ugh. Oh, we, can... <laughs> we better rush this one. We better do it like next week. Man. I know, true. We might run out of guys. Uh, and actually, be feasibly moved. Dude, Tom, we will never run out of guys. Tom, <laughs> as long as Carson Kuhlman is still in the league, we've got a chance. <laughs> Tom, this was a blast. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you to the listeners for listening to the Hockey PDO cast. If you enjoyed what you heard, you can help us out by smashing that five star button wherever you listen to the show. And that's going to be it for this week. We'll be back on Monday with plenty more. So until then, thank you for listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.